I'm here. I think only me. Hello, hello, hello. Come and knock on my door. We'll be waiting for you. Were you sitting here this whole time? I was not. There was Macho singing waiting for you. (laughs) Great hold music. Thank you. Um, I thought so. You missed the Gilmore Girls theme song, unfortunately. (laughs) Next time. Next time. Here we go. We're going to get kooky. (laughs) Hip, hop, hook, hap, happy, hippie, witchy, dop, bitchy, witch, witchy, witch, we do it every day. Hey, magic with a K. Treating naysayers to some sass. Teaching witch haters they can kiss our ass. We know as above, so below, so we go. To know, to dare, to will, to be. Shh. Magic's not a destination. It's our natural orientation. Magic's who we are. Made of space. You're a star. Magic's what we do, me and you. What we do? Hippie Witch, season two. Man, yeah, that was a good one. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 463 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find a link to Mystic Praxis. Mystic Praxis is a podcast. Mystic Praxis is a podcast hosted by Alia Lux, and she is today's very special guest, our patron of the month. And since I'm already talking about Patreon, let me just say there's a new tier there called Circle of Trust, The Circle of Trust. It is inspired by Julia Cameron's book, The Artist Way, and I would also say The 12-Week Year. It's going to include a once a month mastermind where we can all talk about what we're working on and then an accountability channel over on discord where we can hold ourselves accountable to each week's goals and then when you're at that tier you get all of the content I create a lot of content over there you get all the content for the tribe and the brave I'm thinking about perhaps changing some names of tiers We'll have to see. Maybe maybe y'all can vote on that with me and we can pick some new names for those tiers. But at any rate, I wanted to tell you that's happening. And then I wanted to thank all the lovely, 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 wonderful people who hang out with me over on Patreon and have supported the show over there. And I want to thank two new patrons, Michelle Wilcox and Kristen Desautels. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Kristen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And I guess I'll just launch right into telling you why I'm leaving Facebook, because that's literally the name of this episode, (laughs) why I'm leaving Facebook. It has partly to do with the second part of that title, Magical Cyber Security, but it also just has to do with personal preference. If you formerly hung out with me on Facebook, you may have noticed that over the last few years, I actually think it's been at least three years that I've slowly, 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 slowly backed away, backed away. I kept telling people, I hate it here. I think I'm going to leave. And I finally just decided to do that. I'm doing that very, very soon, like here in the next 48 hours. I've already talked about this a bunch on Patreon. So if you're on Patreon and you're like, oh my God, here we go again. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not going to get like too in depth about it here today, but I wanted to let everybody know because not everybody who listens to the podcast hangs out with us over there. So we actually had a live, I've been doing these live events for every tier over there because, hello, we're having a pandemic. People are housebound and I want to be valuable. I want to serve 
at a higher level right now because so many people are at home. It's an anxious time. So I do that. The thing that we did for July was actually with Alia Lux, who specializes in magical cybersecurity. And we talked a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot about that there. And then she agreed to come on here to talk a little bit about it with you all. My piece, the why I'm leaving Facebook piece, is in a nutshell, I don't like the way they treat people, and I haven't liked the way that they have treated me specifically as a creator. So your experience may be very, very different if you do not have a business page over there or a fan page. If you're just interacting as a regular user, you may not have seen much of this, but... I predict that you will start seeing more of it. As a creator, you know, I used to be able to post something and the thousands of people that follow me over there would see it. Maybe not all of them, but a large chunk of them. Then slowly, 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 they started restricting that and asking for money to show your posts to a larger audience, which you may say that's perfectly fair and they're doing it to protect their users, right? The regular folks that are just there to connect with their friends and family do not want to see your business posts. My thing with that is, but, 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 they signed up to see those posts. (laughs) They literally signed up because they wanted to see those posts. I get that they have to make money. This is a business I do not expect them to let me be there for free. And I'm here to tell you that none of you are there for free. (laughs) Whether you're spending money or not, the cost that you're paying is something to acknowledge. And I'll talk about that here in a second. But going back to myself as a creator, now when I post there, there's... I think there's like 4,000 and something people that have signed up to get posts for me over there. The last couple posts that I did, I feel like it showed it to about 250 people. So like 250 people out of 4,000 plus people were shown my post. And then this is the part that I think is predatory and annoying. They then start messaging me and emailing me and putting little warnings on my posts, asking me to give them money. Ooh, a lot of people looked at this post. If you give us money, we'll show it to more. Ooh, not very many people looked at this post. If you give us money, we'll show it to more. (laughs) Give us money. This post is performing very well. Give us money. This post is not performing very well. Basically, just give us money. I got into a mindset a couple years ago where I did use ads. This is after I already hated their guts, but I thought, oh, this is a necessary evil. This is how business online is done. So I took out ads. I started boosting my posts and giving them my money. And I found in the beginning, actually, this was effective. And then it stopped being effective. And it made no impact whatsoever on my newsletter list, on a product that I was selling. It was basically just like lighting money on fire. Once I came to that conclusion, every single time they sent me one of these messages to give them money, I was like, funk off, funk off. If you did not get the memo, because you don't hang with me on Twitter, funk is the new F word. decided that I'm going to try to be really deliberate about that because I swear on the show, we're just going to deal with one curse word at a time. And I feel like the F word is pretty inflammatory. I don't let my son say it. So I feel like I shouldn't say it here on the show in case your kids are listening. And I know so many of your kids are listening because you tell me. So anytime that I'm about to drop an F-bomb. I hope that mechanism kicks into my brain where I say funk. It's very handy to tell somebody to funk off because it just sounds so similar. (laughs) I remember once a long time ago, my son had very, very, very little language. His language was so 
limited. And he was upset about something and he squinted his eyes and he said, peach, in a way that I would bet, speaking of spending money, a million dollars was meant to be bitch. It was it was a shocking kind of hilarious moment. <laughs> and he's always being super creative now that he has more language to be like, how can I swear without getting in trouble? <laughs> so he's always like being creative. So the second he gets wind that his mother is saying funk, Instead of the F word, he's going to be all over it. I know it. <laughs> and it's and it's oddly similar when you use it in a sentence. Try it out. See how you like it. <laughs> so those are, that's how I feel about Facebook. There are a lot of political issues. I know some big corporations actually are boycotting them. There was kind of a Facebook Exodus that I don't really think stuck or made much of an impact. It was supposed to be happening in July. These companies that were saying like, hey, you're pushing, you're allowing. It's not the Facebook platform that does this, but they allow outside advertisers to use their platform to push conspiracy theories, false information, and things that could get people hurt. And so it kind of became political, but that is interesting to me, but it's not why I left. Also, I just have a personal preference for Twitter. I love how Twitter is organized. I love that I can customize it. I love that it's word-based. I'm a word nerd. When people show up on Twitter, they do sometimes post pictures, but mostly they're sharing their heart and their thoughts their ideas, their opinions, and that is a pool I like to swim in. Like, these are my people. I like to talk, (laughs) and I like to hear other people's thoughts and ideas. And once you figure out how to use Twitter, you can really customize the experience. So you can make all these different lists. You can set them to private if you want, which is what I typically do. And then you can follow only the people on those lists. So if you're in the mood to be thinking about money, for example, I have a list called money and it's private because I'm not trying to alarm those people that, Hey, I'm following you. I'm just following them and putting them on a list because I want the information that they share. I see them as financial experts, but Because it's private, if they start sharing a bunch of political stuff that's annoying or they get too far off track, I can take them off the list and they are none the wiser. So I'm not hurting anyone's feelings. I'm not, you know, making anybody feel uncomfortable, but I'm able to customize my experience. So instead of going into my main feed, I can go over and I can look at my my political list, the political voices that I want to hear from, or I can go over and I can look at my hippie witch friends and see what they're all talking about. And then I guess I just like keeping my thumb on the pulse of pop culture. The trends are awesome. I love to see what's happening in the world on any given day. And then they do use the algorithms to show you what they think that you'll like They use where you live to show you news and stories that are happening like in your state. What's funny is (laughs) one of my best friends has left L.A. and is moving to Houston. She's literally in the process of doing that right now. But when she first told me that she was moving to Houston, I was Googling Houston and what are the good neighborhoods and where are the cool hippie people and all that stuff. And the Internet spied on me. And it started showing me in the Twitter algorithms stories about Houston, but all the stories about Houston were like fire and brimstone, pandemic, death. It was not good. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) they're driving into the center of hell. And then it occurred to me like, oh, they're showing me all these Houston stories because they think that I'm interested in Houston because I did all those Houston searches. (laughs) So now I am not clicking on the Houston stories because I want to teach Twitter how to treat me. If you leave this episode today with nothing else, I would love for the thing that you walk away with to be this idea that not only do we teach people 
how to treat us. We teach social media platforms and places like Google and Amazon how to treat us. And I have decided to do that primarily on Twitter. That's where I like to hang out online. Twitter and Discord. I love Discord because it's private and I can sit there and talk to the lovely hippie witch patrons and actually form relationships there and have conversations that I would not want to have on a public platform. So those are the two places that I will be and where I like to hang out. Very, very easy to find me if you go to Twitter and you put Joanna DeVoe in the search box. Ha! There I am. (laughs) I may get back involved in Instagram this fall too, but I'm still carefully contemplating that and asking myself to what end and for what purpose? Like, what would my purpose be over there? And I also just want to say I am not in any way talking shit about social media. I have made real friendships online through social media, through Facebook. Some of my best friends I made through Facebook. So this is not an anti-social media episode. I just think that as witchy people, it, it behooves us to think of social media in a more magical way and to consider the blessing and the curse of it. Like social media in and of itself is neutral. Like all awesome things are, right? If it's money, if it's power, if it's magic, it's neutral. It becomes a blessing or it becomes a curse or a little bit of both depending on the way that you use it. It's all in the way you use it. So with social media in particular, I would ask, are you using it or is it using you? And then how much are you willing to let it use you in order for you to use it? It really is about an exchange of energy. And I would say, make no mistake, when it comes to social media, our attention is the commodity. We are the product. We are not the customers. We are the product these platforms use to empower their real customers. And their real customers are their advertisers. These are not free platforms. You are paying a price. I don't know what that price is. I think we all pay a different price in terms of our energy, our personal data, the information we share, to what degree are we willing to make ourselves vulnerable. If you have a history with addiction, you may be paying too high of a price. And I don't say that to scare you at all. I'm just saying it to encourage you to take a look at what that price is for you and to make sure that the exchange feels good to you. And I think it can feel good now, and then that can change a year from now to where it starts to not feel good. So this is something that I think we could all benefit from, checking in with ourselves every once in a while just to see where where we're at with all of this. I'm going to share some links in the show notes. I'm not going to talk too much about them because I already did. I talked a lot about them over on Patreon. I'm going to link, though, to Cal Newport and Jaron Lanier. They are the computer scientists who opened my eyes to the behavior modification that these sites engage in. And I hope that you will check those links out if you're not familiar with Cal Newport or Jaron Lanier. They have really different focuses. And they both love the internet. They literally are computer scientists. This is their passion But because they have this insider perspective, they also see the dangers involved. With Cal Newport, it's about protecting your time and doing deep work and the ways that the internet, social media in particular, drags you away from that. And then with Jaron Lanier, it's really specifically about behavior modification, because these platforms, and not just social media platforms, Amazon does this, probably eBay, I would imagine, Google definitely does it, they are training us. 
they're training us intentionally. They are training us to behave in ways that benefit them using basic reward and punishment techniques. And they are collecting and storing our data, our searches, our likes, our friends to further their behavior modification programs. (laughs) And why? 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 It's really not because they're evil. It's because they're trying to make money and they are making a lot of money off of your behavior. What What they want is to keep you engaged. That's the whole point of this. They want to keep you engaged because the longer you are engaged on their platforms, the more valuable their platforms are to advertisers. And then the hidden cost is that they are quite literally changing our minds. That is where I take issue (laughs) because I'm all about like know thyself, which and this kind of spiritual and mental sovereignty that I have worked very hard to foster and maintain. And I am not going to let the Internet shape my mind without at least being a participant in the process deliberately and being like, okay. This is the energy exchange. I like you. I like you, but I'm not going to give give it up completely. <laughs> so our behavior shapes the algorithm and then the algorithm shapes our behavior. It's a communication loop that I think needs to be deliberate on your part to make sure that one, you are paying a price that feels fair. And then two, you don't wind up with a social media addiction that drags you away from things that are more important to you. Or it could be, you know, you're sharing your life in a way that makes you or your children vulnerable to predators. Unfortunately, some of their advertisers pay huge sums of money to use your data in order to prey on your worst fears. Facebook has been one of the biggest enablers of this. Enabler is a good word for what Facebook is because they are not doing this, but they are allowing people to use their platform to do this. And these people, these marketers, these advertisers use that platform to push conspiracy theories, political agendas, quack medical advice, Anything that exploits your behavior and what you've revealed about your personal fears and preferences through your behavior in order to sell you shit. And when I say sell you shit, I mean, it could be selling you ideas, ideas, selling you again, like conspiracy theories, lies, Crap. Let's just call it what it is. Funking crap. (laughs) So that's where I think a big part of the danger lies and why I wanted to talk about this here. And I would just refer to this behavior modification (laughs) as potentially serious malignant magic. And that's all I have to say about that today because... I have an interview to share with you that hopefully will have you leaving this episode of the podcast feeling empowered and like you have some new tools to protect yourself. This is July 2020's Patron of the Month interview, but I have a feeling that it's going to leave you wanting more because all your lucks, today's guest is one awesome witchy Woman, She has had a long career, still has a long career in cybersecurity, but also there's this whole other witchy side to her, this magical side that she's been wanting to express in a more public way beyond the many creative activities she's done over the years privately. And she recently found an outlet for that in the form of a podcast called Mystic Praxis. So without any further ado, I'm just going to hand it over to Alia so you can experience the awesomeness of my friend. Hello, Alia. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hey, Joanna. Thanks for having me on board. Let's start with a really, really, really important subject. Okay. 
What is the name of your dog? Oh, I have two dogs. One is named Zoe and one is named Birdie. Oh, have I seen them? I don't feel like I've seen your dogs. I'm not sure. They don't, they don't seem to respond much to video, but they are <laughs> usually underfoot when we are chatting. What kind of dogs are they? Zoe is a little black terrier that looks like Toto from the Wizard of Oz. And Birdie is sort of a medium-sized hound Rhodesian Ridgeback mix with golden eyes and golden fur. So oh. they're both so pretty and sweet. Are those literary names? Uh, no, they are not. I tend to name things by just saying names until I figure out what fits. Mm. <laughs> the reason I ask is I just listened to your podcast, Mystic Praxis. Everybody mm. write it down and then right after this, go check it out because it's awesome. I just listened to your latest episode on tips for magical living and a big chunk of it was books and how yes. books really influenced your path. Books really influenced my path. So I thought maybe your dogs were named after books, perhaps. I didn't know. But also, such a relatable podcast. And I love the emphasis on a retrospect perspective. I feel like it's true what you said. Something about how... When you come to the magical path, when you decide, I am going to practice magic, or hey, you may even call yourself a witch, there's a history there that you can look back on and connect the dots. And it was really fun to hear you do that on your show. Oh, cool. Yeah, I really do believe it. I, I think that the paths that we are on, they seem random and, and ambiguous when we're looking ahead at so many options and directions we can go in. But then when we look back, it's almost like we're all on spiral paths, right? Things repeat, and ultimately, it kind of feels like wherever you are, you got there on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like subconsciously on purpose. <laughs> like you look yes, back. That's right. <laughs> I think what's great about what you said, too, is for a lot of us, I think when we get to a point when we're like, I think I want to call myself a witch or I want to practice witchcraft or magic, however you want to frame it. I feel like there's a little speed bump, like a little hurdle where you feel like maybe you're not entitled to that or you need permission or some, you know, there's a lot of messaging or there used to be, it's changed a lot about like blood witches and who are the real witches and what, what initiation have you been through? And I feel like life itself is a bit of initiation process. For sure. It's all material for us to weave things out of. I think what, what I found was my resistance was about diligence. Like I hadn't studied for years, like a monk on some sort of internal quest and also a, feeling that maybe it was something that I had left behind in childhood. And so I, you know, it, I, I was disconnected from it in some way, but it just brought a lot of joy back into my life to delve into things that bring me joy. So, yeah, I, I, I liked that you emphasized that too. It's like the magic is that spark of joy that you get coming off a really cool synchronicity, for example. Yes. Mm-hmm. I feel like I constantly am referring back to the path that shaped me, but I did do like an official year in a day. I just, I guess I needed that for myself to feel like, okay, I can call myself a witch. <laughs> do you? I don't even know. I've talked to you many, many times. Do you go by that label ever? I know you study witchcraft and I think you're even in a coven. I, I've studied the occult and... I, I think, I think the reason why I sort of have always been on the brink about it is to a certain extent, like looking at Wicca and traditional witchcraft, it sort of feels like committing to a religion. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely, I am witchy. I like to explore. So I guess um, I'm, I'm very eclectic in my approach. So there's Western mysticism and the Eastern religions are fascinating and I guess I just sort of feel very playful. So I haven't really committed to anything. I think mystic 
is the term that I sort of feel most connected to right now, which is why the podcast's called Mystic Praxis. Yeah. But I don't, I don't really self-identify as a label. Can we dive more into Mystic Praxis? Why? Cool. Why <laughs> that title? Why the podcast? Why? Why, Elia? Yeah. Why? Yeah, you know, I think the podcast actually came out of my just wanting to share. I don't think of myself as having an official body of knowledge that would make me a a teacher to teach a a class, for example. But I just kind of wanted to share some of the things that I was experimenting with or learning. Because as you heard, I read a lot of books. But you know, there are a lot of other resources that I've been really lucky to experience. I love podcasts. I love YouTube videos. There's a lot of really interesting online courses in these different topics. I'm training to be a yoga instructor. And the fun, the fun thing is that all of these things are, are actually interconnected. And when you, when you study broadly across a number of different topics, you start to see sort of the interconnections. And an example there is, in yoga training, yoga teacher training, you learn the asana, which is the physical practice. But when, when you start to get a little bit deeper, you know, you're learning about the, um, the energy bodies, the chakras, and some of these things that are also connected to what would be considered mystical um, traditions. And you and I have talked about this a little bit. In addition to sort of studying spirituality, I'm really interested in connecting that into physical practice. Because if I look at myself, what brings me joy, one of the things that brings me great joy is dancing. Um, So embodying, embodied practices are so interesting. And just connecting that back into all of the... I guess, I guess the inspiration for the podcast was all of the things that I was thinking about and trying and doing and experimenting were swirling in my head and the connect points were so interesting. I just wanted to create a a platform to talk about it. Mm. I'm going to ask this for people like me who have to Google words like this, which I did have to do. What in the heck is a praxis? Oh, praxis, it means practice. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a book by Thorne Mooney on um, traditional, traditional Wicca where she talks about uh, the, the chapter that meant the most to me with the topic she was talking about was orthodoxy versus orthopraxy. So orthodoxy is a system of a belief system and orthopraxy is like a system of, prax- of practice um, techniques, things that you do. And I, I just, that really, that really helped me because just like, I don't sort of subscribe to the term, witch very, very much. I don't subscribe to a particular system of belief. I'm, I'm still learning. I'm flexible. I'm, 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 I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to learn, but I also think that there really is something for a little bit of praxis, you know, um, trying things out, actually doing things, not just being an armchair mystic, you know, actually being someone who's practicing these different things that I'm learning about. So that's, that's where the name came from. Mm -hmm. I have to say too, I did not know you were a magician's assistant when you were a kid (laughs) for a second. I don't know for how long, but it immediately, when I heard that on your podcast, made me think of James M. Doty's book, Into the Magic Shop. Have you read that? I haven't. I'll have to write that down and check it out. I love that book. There's themes of kind of magic, magic tricks, but also real magic. It's about real magic and thinking about you and how magical you are as a person, magic with a K kind of magic. It's so interesting that that you have that in your past because I spell magic with a K to differentiate the kind of magic I'm talking about, deliberate change from the magic of stage magicians. But the more I get into magic with a K, the line is so fine, it's transparent. I just see a lot of overlap there. Has that been your experience? Well, it's funny because I think that there was part of me that believed that if I could figure out stage magic, that 
I would somehow <laughs> open a door <laughs> into something more, um, you know, paranormal or mystical in that way. Um, as a, as someone who was watching a magic show, there's some people who can figure out, you know, even Penn and Teller, they, they, they know exactly the sleight of hand. They, they can sort of figure out the mechanics behind the trick. I was not that person. I was just always delighted and surprised. And so I wanted to be able to provide that to other people. That's, that's kind of, um, what, what I found with magic and, and, and I, and I just appreciated the opportunity to, to, to try. (laughs) Yeah. For myself in my practice, I feel like I am the magician and the audience. I'm trying to play tricks on myself. I'm trying to like create illusions that I can believe in to create real change. So it's a very strange circuitous way to explain how magic works. But I see this link because if a magician does something that is not real, but it's real for the audience, is it not real? <laughs> That's right. It's creating an experience. Yeah. So I've heard you say before, method acting mm-hmm. is a wonderful training program for someone who is wants to practice magic, right? Because method acting, you have to change your mind because the idea is not you are acting like a character, you are the character. Yeah. And so stage magic is like um, being able to change other people's mind, perhaps, because you are, you're creating an experience for them that is real. Yeah, I think it's pretty special. A good magic show is very special. How old were you when you did that? I was probably somewhere between 10 and 14. It's a little blurry because I really started playing around with magic tricks fairly young. And then, you know, I forced everyone to watch the tricks and I made my parents take me to these specialty magician supply stores. And, you know, I think, I don't know if there's video of it, but I did a, I did my brother's birthday party, <laughs> you know? Oh. Um, so it was a couple of years and actually... I got a shipment of stuff from my mom who is sort of unloading things out of her attic. And one of the things that I found is this old ballet box. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, you know, one of my old ballet boxes. I don't know if it it might age people. I don't even know if kids have ballet boxes anymore, but I opened the box. It's like a little mini suitcase. I opened the box and like out fell some of the silks and there was a deck of trick cards in there and like the little rings and everything. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this was a little like magic kit that I made. Um, so which lasted probably till I was about 14. Cause I think I took a, a clowning class. And I love little Alia. She's so sweet. She's so you, but little. <laughs> yeah, she was Little Alia was willing to try anything, but what was very hard was to pick any one thing to focus on. I wanted to do all of the things and, you know, I'm kind of still that way. (laughs) I was going to say, and you kind of have done all the things. You used to be an aerobics instructor. What did you do? Yeah, that's right. I was an aerobics instructor. I I taught a dance-based fitness class for like 10 years. I love that so much. One day we shall aerobicize together, my friend. Absolutely, we we will. So <laughs> the the thing about that is that I had a when I when I started teaching, I I already I had a really kind of intense day job and I just realized if I don't give myself something else to do outside of, you know, my day job, I will ever I will put everything into my day job. So I need to have a productive distraction. And, and I realized that it was an amazing outlet because it was an irony free zone. I mean, if you are dancing to Britney Spears, you cannot take yourself that seriously. No. And it was, it was true. It was, um, it was a great, it was a great counterbalance to the intensity of my day job. You're extremely creative too. I, I love your art journals and I'm glad you brought up your day job because I actually want to talk about that as well. You did an awesome 
presentation for us over on Patreon this month. We talked about magical cybersecurity because that's what you do. Your day job outside of all this cool magic stuff is you work in cybersecurity, which I think on the face of it seems very dry, (laughs) but your perspective is so magical I'm wondering if you have any tips you could share with us for magical cybersecurity or if you have any thoughts about that, how to combine the two, because I feel like that's something that is top of mind right now for so many people. We're, we're living our whole lives on the internet right now because of the quarantine. Yes, I, I, do, I do think it's really timely. And I am, I'm not like other cybersecurity folk, I mean, I, I am, but I, I do have some differences in the things that I've been focused on because most of my career has been spent trying to figure out how to protect people who are, to, who are using online services. So I, I think it's an interesting perspective. Um, so I do have some tips and these are all kind of rolled up. And if you, if you go to my website, mysticpraxis.com and sign up for the email list, it will, it will send you a link to the document if you're interested in, in looking at that. But at, at a high level, I mean, I mentioned this with the group, Joanna, and it's just, it's to me, it's so important because it's the, it's the easiest thing, but it's also the easiest thing to overlook is around setting up good passwords um, because it's, it's how a lot of folks get their accounts hijacked. And um, so the, what's important is picking really hard to guess passwords and long random characters, including numbers and special characters and making sure that passwords are different for every site, for every app. And that's why it starts to get complicated because people then feel they have to remember all of these passwords because um, we're, we're told over and over again not to write them down. So my recommendation to folks is wherever you can, take advantage of multi-factor authentication, whether it's one of those apps on your phone, that's the best way to do it. But there are also some services, they don't have an app, but they will SMS you, text you a code. Those are also better than just plain old password. And there's special software called password managers I use one password and a lot of the browsers like Chrome have a password manager embedded in it and it will keep your password safe, encrypted, like in a little vault um, that only you have access to so that you can, you can have very, very complicated passwords different for every single site and you don't have to remember them and you don't even have to make them up. You can let the browser or the little password manager do that for you. So that's kind of like the top tip, just sort of the most important thing to say over and over again. Uh, But there's a lot of also, um, there's other things that I I recommend people take a look at after they do that. For example, configuring the settings on your social media accounts. I think um, besides account hijacking, which is kind of a, a security issue, sort of obviously someone hacks your account. What trips people up a lot is privacy issues and privacy settings. And I think part of the reason is because social media is set up to, for people to share information with each other, right? You're, you're, you're putting your awesome Instagram pictures up or you're tweeting your deep thoughts. They're set up to share information. And sometimes it can get a little blurry between what you need to keep secret and what you are trying to share. So you're, what you need to keep secret, I think, are your passwords, right? And private messages between you and other folks and, and maybe your location. Those are things that you might want to keep secret and not publish about. Mm-hmm. So those are a few things. I, I have a long list, so I could talk about this for a while. Is there anything that you think folks might be interested in hearing more about? Well, I love that you framed it as magic, especially when it was just you and I talking about it. You just like went off and you're like, yeah, so you're, it's like these magical passwords and uh, sigils and you got into all that. I thought it was cool, but I do have a question <laughs> that I forgot to ask sure. you. Yes. I don't think, I think I intentionally forgot because I'm afraid to hear the answer, <laughs> but I'm going to be courageous and I'm going to ask it because I, I feel like I should know. What about sites that say like just use your Google account or your Facebook account or whatever it is to access 
you know, to sign in. So for example, Mm -hmm. Patreon, like I could sign into Patreon by just clicking the little Google icon, you know, and it'll sign me in. It'll remember my password and sign me in without me having to log in directly to Patreon. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yes, I do. I do know what you're talking about. That's called federated login. (laughs) Is that very, very bad? No, it's not. Um, No, it's not. I think what you, when it's, when it's set up properly between the site and Google or Facebook, I I have a few sites where I will, I will log in via Google. I don't, um, yes, I have a few sites where I will log in via Google. What you want to do every once in a while is you want to give yourselves security checkups. Um, so <laughs> let's bring it back to magic. <laughs> um, so maybe you would want to have a seasonal ritual where you go through and you look at some of the security settings on those accounts. So if you're using Google to log in to Patreon, for example, then what you might want to do is in when you're logged in to Google, like to your Gmail account, usually it's in the upper right hand corner, you have account settings and you, you have, there will be a security section to that. And they will walk you through a security checkup where they kind of take you through a few things. Like, do you recognize these devices that are logged into your account? And what you would be looking for here is what apps have you granted the ability for Google to log in on your behalf? And if there, you know, if you look through those and you think, Oh man, there's that rando site that I, you know, logged into once three months ago, I'm never using that again, then you just revoke access. So that, that's kind of nice because it's, it's, it's almost like, it's like a different kind of key and just make sure you trust the people who you are giving your key ring. In this case, that's, um, that's Google and the apps that you're letting Google log into on your behalf. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the magical way that I was describing the passwords is charm your keys. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of cybersecurity has a lot in common with magic because it's, it's very occult, right? Like occult is about keeping secrets and cybersecurity is about keeping secret things secret or only allowing access to the folks who are, you know, the properly initiated and have the proper credentials. So there's a lot of magic analogies in there. And that one is, um, if you are going to give someone else your key ring, just make sure that you trust them. And every once in a while, take out the keys that, you know, you don't need to have lying around there. Yes. Yeah. It's protection magic. Like that was our theme for July. And I just thought it was so perfect to talk about cybersecurity when we're talking about protection magic. Absolutely. These controls are like setting wards and then you want to check them every once in a while. Yeah. And so much of it's invisible, which makes it feel kind of mysterious and occult. We're dealing with like all these mysterious invisible entities that are all up in our business. And we, you know, it's... (laughs) It reminds me of what people do to protect themselves from entities on the astral plane, for example. Absolutely. And the, I think the other thing that is sort of an interesting parallel between social media self-defense and, and, and magic is the idea of setting intentions, mm-hmm. meaning like, um, you know, if you, if you're, if you're setting up a Twitter account, what is your intention? Is your intention to do brand building and, and that type of thing? Or are you there to have private conversations with folks who have interest groups or whatever accounts you have, what's your intention for it? Cause then you set your privacy and security settings accordingly, which is just like any time that you are, you know, working on the astral, right? You want to set your intentions before you mess with the Fae, let's say. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. My whole concern with social media is pretty on brand. I think I'm always concerned about propaganda and what I would, referred to maybe as like nefarious marketing and conspiracy theories, things that are designed to change your mind to produce a specific outcome that is not in your favor. (laughs) And you end up acting against your own best interest because of these parasites, these, these 
strange digital parasites that we have all over social media posing as actual human beings. And some of them are human beings. Of course, the ones who set these systems up are. But I guess that's kind of the point, too, is that technology is neutral. It's what we do with it that makes it dangerous or empowering. That's right. What's that line from the Croft? Which is neither neither bad nor good. Mm. (laughs) Nature is neither bad nor good. And and yes, I, I think that's right. And of course, we even call some of those manipulators, we call them trolls, right? Good point. Yeah, in the in the past in technology, we would often call the folks who are sort of advanced technologies, they would be like wizards, tech wizards, right? Or like tech gurus. So we sort of bring some of that energy into how we describe the technology anyway. It's spiritual. We're spirits interacting with spirits. We are not there in body. We are only there in spirit. And that creates a different level of vulnerability. You can't read people's body language and facial expressions, you're literally just dealing with energy. Yeah. Well, you're sort of inspiring me too, because people have different feelings about the threefold law and all. But the idea, of course, is that there, when you send out energy, there are consequences. Uh, it's like that on the internet too, right? You send out data, you post a selfie, you you know, you snap a chat. I don't know what all, you know, I don't know what all the kids are doing these days, but um, you send that out and you can't pull it back. You send it out into the universe and then it's going to go where it's going to go in some cases. So (laughs) very consistent energetic principles. Yeah. I feel like the whole thing that you talk about with the magical cybersecurity, people should go get that PDF. Go to the Mystic Praxis website and get the PDF because it will frame all of this in a magical way and flesh out what we're saying here. But I think witches are uniquely prepared. If we just take our mindset that we have in our spiritual practice, we are uniquely prepared to do this because our whole maxim is know thyself, know thyself, right? So somebody cannot get into your head and make you act against your own self. (laughs) The zombification of people is real, and that trips me out. Yeah, the reason why I'm sort of pausing and thinking about that is one of the things that I'm studying and studying to be a yoga teacher is therapeutic applications. And I took a training. It's called Y12SR. It's applying sort of 12-step techniques and yoga to helping people recover from addictions. And one of the things that we talked about was there's like chemical biochemical addictions, but then there's also things like social media addictions, gaming addictions, shopping addictions, these sort of repetitive behaviors that then um, become addictions. And I'm just sort of thinking about how right now with everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people who I know feeling pretty isolated because they're and engaged in, in social distancing and such, they're becoming more reliant on that connection and that dopamine hit that you, that one gets by interacting in these spaces. And so I just sort of think about that. I think that you're right, that folks who do the work, the internal work to know who they are can bring their selves into whatever environment they're in. Um, It's really interesting right now because a lot of people are relying on that for community because they can't be physically proximate to each other. So so if you're out there, (laughs) you folks who are listening, you may want to take some extra steps to think about uh, being intentional about how much time you spend in those spaces and, and what you're going to those spaces looking for. Yeah. And this podcast today is just a little taste. I have made Alia swear in blood that she will come back to talk to us again and do like a whole dedicated episode. But in the meantime, there's Mystic Praxis and you can blow up her social media being like, make us a podcast about this, please. We want more. (laughs) So how how do they find you to do that? Well, I have, I have accounts on the Instagram, the Twitters, and the Facebook, all at Mystic Praxis. I'm at mysticpraxis.com, and you can email me at mysticpraxis at gmail.com. I can't let you go without 
having you answer the famous question, what is one tip you have for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? My advice is listen to yourself and, and specifically listen for what lights you up so that you can do more of that and bring more of that energy into your life. It took me a while. I think I kind of had lost that understanding of what lit me up and it just brought me so much joy to, to bring it back. And that's where I found um, my power, my voice, my magic, and my joy. And, that, and that's pretty kick-ass. A hundred percent. You are kick-ass. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, Joanna. So did y'all hear the wind chimes? I could hear them when I was talking to her during this interview. And what I love about that is the first time I heard her podcast, I was complimenting her like, oh my gosh, I love the intro with the wind chimes. And I thought it was a sound effect that she had added to the recording. No, 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 no. Those are real wind chimes just outside her window, and as an airy Libra, I love, 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 love wind chimes. So I think that is a very like, woo, hippy-dippy, magical, mystical effect to have on the Mystic Praxis podcast. And then something that only landed for me after the interview, once I was listening back to edit it, was Alia describing herself as spiritually playful. I don't know if you caught that, but I caught it the second go round and I was thinking playful. Yes. Yes. To be filled with play, playful, to play, to play. Why can't our spiritual journeys be that way? Of course, they totally, they can be, right? Even as in the same breath, we're talking about cybersecurity. Why not? Why not? We don't have to freak ourselves out. And be afraid of our own shadow, so to speak, when we're practicing magic, including magical cybersecurity. So now that we have talked about protecting yourself and your loved ones online, I wanted to say a word about protecting yourself and your loved ones offline and emphasize how these two things are now inextricably linked. They are linked by the power of misinformation. And I purposely saved this to share with you for the end in case we have different views on this and I offend you. You see what I did. I tricked you into listening to Alia's interview. Hopefully it, it gave you some cool ideas for how to protect yourself online before I totally turn you off by sharing my opinion. Hopefully I can share my opinion without doing that but we'll see how it goes. I wanted to share an experience that I had the other day when my son and I were walking through the neighborhood every evening. We do a socially distanced walk through the neighborhood wearing masks. And this night we were, I say night, but it's still light outside. It's twilight. At twilight, we were walking in our masks and I like to check on this little library. It's so cute. It's bright yellow and it's right across the street from a church. I leave my witchy books in this little library, which is usually packed with Christian books. And I want to brag to you right now to interrupt my story, to brag about how quickly my witchy books get snapped up and then the other books just sit there. And I found something really, really interesting starting to happen. People read the books and then they put them back. And then I put other books in there and then they take the books and then they put them back like a real library. And I can tell this is happening because I check all the time and I can see, oh, my books are gone. And then when they come back, the spines are extra creased and they're a little bit more worn and I just get a huge kick out of that. So we were checking out the library, just looking through the window to see what was in there. And I noticed down the street, this woman in almost head to toe orange, <laughs> she was wearing like a, a beige beret, but the rest of her was just all orange. And I love the color orange, but my son is obsessed 
obsessed with the color orange. He eats his cereal out of an orange bowl. He will only drink out of an orange cup. He wears orange almost every day of his life. When Halloween, he literally was just the color orange. It's a big deal. So I pointed this woman out to him like, oh my gosh, look, she's wearing all orange as she's walking toward us. And then she was like flagging us down to get our attention. She was an older woman, maybe mid sixties, I would guess. And she seemed harmless. The area that I live in, there are a lot of commercial businesses, car lots and things like that. And it's a bit of a destination because there's a big mall here. So often people flag me down for directions. It's not uncommon. And I thought that that's what she was doing. And so I paused so she could catch up with us before we walked back home. And she immediately, she had her phone held out. She had a mask. We have to wear masks where I live. It is mandated that if you're out on the street, you have to wear a mask. So she had a mask in her hand, not on her face, and her phone, and she was so excited to show us her phone, to like hold it up and ask, are you on Facebook? Have you seen this video on Facebook? It was just posted. And I was like, oh no. Like I immediately knew what it was about, immediately. And there I was, you know how you kind of feel stuck? Like I wanna get away really, really bad, but you're trying to be polite at the same time. She seemed like a very nice, normal lady who was very excited about something she saw on Facebook. And you're probably guessing it was about the coronavirus. And she wanted to let us know the very good news that we can take our masks off. It was all a lie. It was a hoax. This thing is no worse than the seasonal flu. They're just doing this, the big they. They're just doing this to control us with fear. And isn't that awesome? Like she was stoked. You could tell she literally had just seen this video. I feel like probably someone in the neighborhood pointed it out to her because we have, where I live, there is a massive Armenian community. There's actually a lot of Mexicans here and a lot of Armenians here. I feel like it's kind of half and half with a few little white people sprinkled in. <laughs> I'm one of those white people. What I actually appreciate about both of these cultures is they're very family oriented. And the Armenians that are here, they all moved here in big groups together, like whole communities, because they were running from something very bad that was happening in their country. And so they actually hang out on, I wanna say on the streets, but not on the streets, on the sidewalks, on the stoop, in the parks, every single day. They're up in each other's business. They have a real sense of like neighborly spirit. And because she was holding her mask in her hand <laughs> and, you know, like not running, but eagerly approaching us like she had this amazing news, the impression I got was that she just found this out. This is all a hoax. So what's interesting is I, oh gosh, and she pointed out how in the video, in the video, which we did not watch. I was not gonna get close enough to watch the video, especially considering that she wasn't wearing a mask, but also I didn't wanna see it. <laughs> I don't want to see that crap. But she was like, these are real medical professionals standing on the steps of the White House. That was her big selling point for this. And the interesting thing was that as I was backing away, and I could see on her face that she realized I wasn't interested and I was just being polite. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll have to check it out. I could see on her face that she felt sorry for us. <laughs> that she was like, ah, oh, there they go. Look at those idiots, but in a nice way. <laughs> and I was walking away with the same impression. Like, ah, oh, that poor woman. It's sad to me as a person who holds the belief that this is not a hoax. It's sad to me that somebody would lie to her like that in a way that not just risks her own life, but the life of her family, the life of her friends, the life of her entire community. That, of course, is based on my perspective that COVID-19 is not a hoax. I come from a Republican family. 
I am the strange, it's not fair to call myself a black sheep because my family loves me and includes me in family activities, but I feel like the black sheep because I'm the only one who left our religion and I'm the only one who left our hometown and I'm the only one who left the political party that they're all very loyal to. They are flaming Republicans. And then I have a couple of friends, a couple of girlfriends who are also Republicans. And I myself am not, but I get exposed to that perspective through my family and through my friends. And I feel like there's one political take that Republicans have that I can respect. And then there's one that just goes too far. For me, the one that goes too far is that this is a hoax. I do think it's fair, though, those that are arguing against a shutdown to prioritize mental health and the economy, I think it's fair for them to introduce that argument and and to hold that as a priority. I think it's fair to argue against a shutdown to prioritize the mental health and economic impact of the pandemic. You can argue for that, and I will see in you a concerned citizen, even as I personally would argue back that 150,000 plus coronavirus-related deaths in a mere handful of months here in the United States would suggest that a mental health and economic toll is inevitable regardless. That many people dying in that short of time is alarming. Not to mention the many, many, many more who did not die, but who will have long-term health consequences. It's stressful and sad for us all And I hear your concerns about piling mental health and economic issues on top of that. However, (laughs) nothing has an economic impact like being unable to show up for work because you're in the hospital. And a thriving economy means nothing if you're dead. So that's a debate that I'm willing to have politely. I can respect that we have opposing opinions because your argument is at least rational. However, if you are calling the pandemics a hoax, the pandemics, <laughs> ah, the pandemics, the pandemics, if you're calling the pandemic a hoax or refusing to wear a mask in public, if you come at me with an attitude like that, all I will see is a dangerous, ill-informed, person-shaped collection of infectious microbes and I will move myself and my kid away from you as fast as I can. Again, this is just my personal take, (laughs) but here's an idea. The sooner we all practice social distancing, wear masks in public, and stop throwing house parties, the sooner we can get our economy back on track. It is a win-win for everyone. I saw somebody post on Twitter not too long ago, it's easy to spot people who want the economy to open the fastest because they're wearing a mask. (laughs) So you may believe that I hold this perspective because I myself have been the victim of behavior modification. I've been the victim of conspiracy theories. It really is true that the big they is trying to control us with fear. If you believe that, I leave you to it. I invite you to always research, look for facts, always follow the money trail. And if you're watching just like a clip of a video, see if you can find the original source of like, where did this clip come from? Where did this come from? Maybe it's taken out of context because that happens sometimes. That happens sometimes. And now we live in an age where video can be doctored. So I don't even know what to say about that. (laughs) I hope that this was interesting. I would love to hear your magical cybersecurity tips. If you at me over on Twitter, I'm Joanna DeVoe on Twitter. That's where I like to hang out. And until we meet again, stay safe. Much love to you. Peace.